You're listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide, where therapists live, breathe, and practice as human beings. To support you as a whole person and a therapist, here are your hosts, Kurt Widhelm and Katie Vernoy. Welcome back, Modern Therapists. This is the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. I'm Kurt Widhelm with Katie Vernoy. And in our last episode, we were joined by Noreen Vanderhoeven. She is joining us once again today. Last time, we focused just on working with clients who are suicidal and we had made a reference to an episode that we had done towards the end of last year about therapist suicide with Dr. Gregory Eels from UPenn. And after that episode, so many of you shared stories with us on social media, sent emails to us about supervisors, colleagues who had died by suicide and just kind of leaving a, a, large gap in both the relationships that you had within your agencies, within your professional relationships, to the profession itself. And such a resounding response by our community really made us want to dive into this aspect a little bit deeper with somebody who works in that suicide field. Noreen's very graciously given us more of her time to be able to talk about something that there's really just not a lot of information that's out there. And in our last episode, in talking about therapist suicidality, Katie and I pulled from a lot of news articles, but looking for more depth into this, we we called up Noreen, we said, hey, what's out there? And she goes, I'm a part of, you know, all of these great suicide conversations with a lot of other professionals who talk about suicidology and there's just not a lot out there and she has some of the stories, she has some perspectives that she's here to share with us today. So once again, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Glad to be back. And just for folks who did not listen to the previous episode, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you're putting out in the world? Mm-hmm. I'm Noreen Vanderhoeven. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, and I practice in Westlake Village, California. Uh, I've been in practice over 30 years, all of it dealing with crisis, but really, I would say probably the last seven, well, the last eight years, going on nine years, I've been specifically focusing on suicidal clients, doing consulting for therapists who have suicidal clients. We had initially kind of posed this question to you, Noreen, about help. What is what else is out there? <laughs> as as people are reaching out to us, telling us these stories of of supervisors who died by suicide, of active supervisors who kind of just you know now there's there's nobody there that there's no guidance. There's there's a relationship that's there that is now missing. Wonderful mentors. And we, you know, definitely empathize with a lot of you, our listeners, in, in these situations. But sometimes there's just there's there's not a response. There, there's nothing that we can really add to this because this just really isn't talked about in our field. Yeah, and no, it's not really talked a lot about our fe- in our field. And there's not a lot of research per se. Like I was looking. The last research I can find was in 2015, and it's where it was through the CDC. 
And so they talked about 43% of these 22,000 people over the course of, I think it was like 17 states, were asked about suicidal thoughts. And so 43% of them had suicidal thoughts, 5% of them actually attempted. But there's not a lot talking about how many therapists died by suicide. So that's kind of where the information is still lacking. And I think part of the other problem is, is that people just are, they're afraid to talk about it. So in the other podcast, I talked about Stacey Friedenthal in her book, Helping the Suicidal Person. So she talks about that in that book very briefly, but I think she's going to be doing some other writings more about, you know, this. There's someone, Bart Andrews, he is a psychologist who is very involved in the American Association of Suicidology. He's out of Missouri. He did an interview. He's an attempt survivor. And he did an interview. There's a website called Live Through This, which Desiree stayed. She's also an attempt survivor. She takes pictures, amazing pictures of these people who are survivors, and she interviews them about their stories. And one of the things that Bart talks about in his interview is that he was afraid to tell his boss, you know, that he had a suicide attempt. And, you know, what would people think? And would they even let them go back to work with clients? Are they stable? And so that's kind of like a lot of these therapists have all these fears. And so they end up keeping it to themselves, which in turn gives them no outlet and then continues to perpetuate, you know, the suicidal ideation and lack of support and all that other stuff. So... I think that's part of the big problem in the field is people being afraid to talk about it. So that sounds like one big difference is that therapists, because of the work that we do, we're supposed to know what we're supposed to do. We have so many pieces to this that make it hard for us to disclose if we're having suicidal thoughts or if there are serious depression symptoms or anxiety symptoms that are leading leading us this direction. Are there other differences between therapists and others when we're looking at suicide risk? Well, I, I think one of the big things is, so yes and no. <laughs> so <laughs> I'll, I'll start with the no, because that's easier, is the no part is that therapists are just like anybody else. Mm-hmm. And so they have their own personal lives and their own personal struggles and family issues and blah, 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 blah that they can experience all of these things just like anybody else experiences. So I think in that sense, no, they're not any different. In the sense where they are different is where they're also then listening to all of these clients that have depression or anxiety or suicidal thoughts. And that just kind of adds to their own stress and anxiety and depression and And unless they have someone that they feel comfortable talking about it with, then that continues to escalate it and it continues to perpetuate that stigma of, you know, therapists, like you said, therapists are supposed to know what to do and they're supposed to be these, you know, perfect people and they're not, we're not. Nope. Um, Well, well, and I'm thinking back to last episode where one of your assessment questions was really about other people in a client's life who have had suicidal thoughts, who have died by suicide. It makes sense that we can extrapolate to therapists who work in this kind of environment, especially with very high-risk clients in this atmosphere, that if we're surrounded by it, 
it's got to impact us because we don't just get the good parts out of the relationships with our clients. We also take on a, a lot of the emotional stress too. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I would be lying to you if I would say I was never affected by what my clients tell me. Of course I am because I'm human, you know? I mean, I, in particular, I have not had suicidal thoughts. And so I have not, and I have not had any attempts or anything. So can I personally, in that sense, really 100% get what they're talking about? No, I haven't experienced that, but that doesn't matter. It's still such an intense, you know, feeling to really empathize and feel what your clients are feeling and and be with them and sit with them in that pain, which is so difficult, you know? I think for me, when, when I was looking at that, you know, when, you know, when you were talking, I was listening to that. And I, I think about not necessarily the suicidal thoughts, although I definitely have been present and witness to a lot of pain. I think about the times when I've been pretty deep into, you know, I had, a, I used to have a group for women survivors of childhood sexual trauma and abuse. And so the, there was a period of time I was doing kind of the narratives and that kind of stuff, the trauma narratives. And just the way that I looked at the world during that period of time and, and maybe a, a couple months afterwards, and even kind of generally how I look at the world has been so shaped by these stories that I've heard, by the emotions, by the impact. And I think being in a room with, with many different clients who have suicidal ideation, who are talking about that pain, it, especially if we're spending most of our time in those rooms, can impact how we see the world and not even just, you know, kind of feeling the empathy, feeling the sadness. And, and maybe that's what you were talking about, Kurt. But I think, Maureen, you know, when you were talking about that, it was just like it became very evident that when we're, when we're looking at these things, that there is a lot that therapists are taking in and a lot that we're being impacted by in these conversations. Absolutely. Absolutely. It does shape the way that you look at things. And I know, you know, I, I had supervised, I talked in the other podcast, I supervised a mobile crisis response team for five years. And what, you know, kind of the opposite of the pain and empathy is the way people dealt with it is they became very jaded and very cut off and emotionless. And it's like, oh, it's just another, you know, call to go to or, and so we always were talking about that because, you know, the minute you lose that, you lose that connection really with your clients. But what it is, it's just, you you can't experience it anymore because it's just so hard for yourself. So to be able desensitized to, to it, totally desensitized to it. Yeah. Well, and I think we can't have this conversation without kind of talking about the major risk factors that are a part of our profession. Either that, by and large, this is a really solitary profession. It's one where a lot of times you're only going to run into five, six. 10 people during the day, unless you are actively taking care of yourself and getting that social need met. And the people that you are working with are there to get support from you. And the the emotional burden that can come up from that, it can be really tremendous, but it's also super isolating. And when you add to that, that when we do reach out for help, that there is even within our therapist community, so much blame around not taking care of yourself well enough. You know, it's, yes, it's, you know, it's the, Oh, Oh, you're working with a bunch of suicidal clients. Have you, have you tried yoga? Like the, <laughs> like, shut up. 
but that we are as a profession just not very inviting to have these conversations unless it's somebody who's really close that it's not like we can show up to a therapist networking meeting and expect like hey you know I'm feeling really like I might kill myself that that's just going to be met with people who you know should understand at least in a professional way that they're going to kind of scoot their chairs back and tell you to go do yoga. And also think that they're not going to refer clients to you and they might do the, Oh, are you okay? And I'm so worried about you. And then talk about you behind your back. I mean, like it feels like, I mean, granted this to society, we're not different than society, but I think there's this additional expectation as therapists that we have this, I don't know, we have to be almost untouchable. And I think that's, I mean, that's one thing that we push back against a lot. That's why we talk about these things. But I think there is a very a big difficulty with that when we are experiencing these big risk factors. And also I, you know, I did a little bit of of digging myself and, you know, a lot of us do have childhood trauma. A lot of us do have some sort of risk factor that you were talking about in the last episode around family members who have, you know, died by suicide or had suicide attempts, you know, family member, childhood trauma, you know, there's a lot of things that, that therapists are facing. And, and I think that's a really good point, Kurt, is that there's that isolation that is so prevalent. And unless you really go out of your way, it can be very hard. So what is, what is your suggestion? And if you say yoga, we're just going to end the, the, um, <laughs> the episode, Noreen. But yoga, what is your suggestion? No. <laughs> what is your suggestion, Noreen, for therapists who are feeling depressed, who are feeling isolated? Maybe they're feeling like a burden. And, and if you're wondering what we're talking about, this is from the previous episode about being a burden, not feeling a sense of belonging and have a, having a capability of um, dying by suicide or have making an attempt, what would you recommend to therapists? Let's start with the therapists who are having these feelings. How would you recommend that they take care of themselves, that they address these suicidal thoughts that they're experiencing? Yeah. And you know what? I don't necessarily even know if it's only suicidal thoughts. You know, it's that feeling of isolation and loneliness. And maybe that does lead to suicidal thoughts. Yeah. But I know for me, because, you know, for like all the years I worked in community mental health, just in the last five years, maybe four or five years, I've been in private practice. Um, And part of that time was a group practice. So there were always people to talk to and people that I felt safe with. And I think that that's huge is to find like right now I'm in an online consultation group. And it's with some of the therapists in my area, but we just don't have that extra time to go to other people's <laughs> offices. And yeah. So, but online and really know that you could be open and trusting. And there's another group in my area. It's called the Thriving Therapists Group that one of the therapists in the area, Britt Fishman, that she started. And that's another place like people come in and thankfully it's made to be a very safe environment. And so we're able to talk about those things. I had once I had a client who attempted suicide and shockingly enough, it was shocking to me in the sense that was the first client that that had happened to me in so many years of practice. That's not the statistic. Yeah. You know, so it was really weighing heavy on me and I was able to go into this group and I felt safe and comfortable. So I think, you know, Point being, find some colleagues that you really feel comfortable with 
who are in private practice who feel that same way and do some type of consultation, whether it be online or just know that you can also reach out to them outside of that consultation group, you know, to get some support. Because I think especially and, you know, when you're either running a group practice or you have interns that are working for you, you do feel the one that's responsible all the time. Yeah. So you can't go to them. But that's really important. And to know that you're not being judged, that everybody has these feelings. And so the more you can be open about them and be comfortable saying, yeah, I'm really having a bad week or I'm having a bad time or I'm having suicidal thoughts or whatever it is, and knowing that they will be there to support you, it starts to break down all of those, you know, rumors and the stigmas and everything else. So I, I, I can't stress enough like how critical that is. So in addition to finding community, because I think consultation and community and that kind of stuff, I think is, is critically important. Are there other things that clinicians can also do to address some of these things? Huge thing is, and I think this is for any clinician, private practice, community, whatever, is be in your own therapy. And I think that, you know, a lot of clinicians really don't um, they think, oh, I don't need therapy. Like my consultation group is just enough, mm-hmm. but it really isn't. It really goes when you're working with people, there are so, you know, things come up on so many different levels. And I think there's that stigma too, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, I have clients all the time ask me, you know, do therapists see therapists? I'll go, of course. Like, you know, think about listening yep. to, you know, all of this all day long that, you know, of course, you know, we do. And, and they feel so much more comforted by that. So that's another way of more normalizing it, you know. And the other thing is, yes, self-care is important. I think what happens is people get shamed, like you said, you know, for doing self-care. So self-care, whatever that is for you, you know, mm-hmm. for me, even in between sessions, I try, you know, I end right at that 50 minutes. And some therapists say like, how do you do that? Like, I, I struggle to end at the hour. And I'm like, I do it because I need that time just to be able to, you know, run to the bathroom or walk around <laughs> my building. Like literally, I walk down the stairs into the parking lot around, we have like two buildings, We're around the two buildings, back and up. And just being able to get moving. And I don't think people give like enough credibility or thought to that when you're sitting all day, like you have to get yourself moving. And I think another step to this, and I'm always on this revolution to change the way that we educate and train therapists, even from the beginning of their careers. But Mm -hmm. I think we need to go further in emphasizing just how difficult this job is emotionally. Like there, there's a piece of what I very much agree with, you know, therapists go to therapy. Like, yes, do it. But (laughs) I don't know that that lands as well as, Hey, this profession is really freaking hard and it's really, really emotionally draining in a way that a lot of other jobs aren't. And it's going to hit you hard. Yeah. And I th- I think it needs to start in graduate school, really. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I was going to say, and and that's that's going to be normal, and nobody is immune to that in this profession. And the sooner that we can make that happen in graduate school, that, like glad to have Noreen on on my like, let's change education around this. <laughs> but, <laughs> this is Kurt's crusade. <laughs> oh, put me on it. I am totally on that board. 
Yeah. But I, I think that the better that we can normalize just how difficult this is, the better that things like that land. Like it's stuff that we all know. But as, as Katie was talking about a little bit earlier, there's so much. In, and we had an episode on this a couple of weeks ago. There's so much that we know that we should do that we just don't. And when it comes to what is essentially a life and death situation for the people in our profession, this is one that you can't really just afford to know without actually following through on. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's like two parts to that. One part is the part in graduate school and being, you know, have that be like a part of your program is that it's, you know, you have to go, you just have to, because things are going to come up. And I know, you know, the thing in social work is some people, because social work has so many broad areas and some people who do like administrative social work or community organization and planning social work, like those things, they'll go, oh no, I don't need that. That's not going to affect me. Hello, you're still working with people and you're still yep. working with, you know, it's hard. It's a hard job. And so, yeah, I cannot stress it enough to find a way to, that's self-care. And also being made, you know, held responsible for that. And again, not being shamed to do that because I think people grow up and they're shamed to do it, yet they still go into this field and they think they're immune. Yeah, I think the piece that that I, I we've talked about this in a lot of different episodes and I'll go and link to a whole bunch in the, the show notes. But I think it's it's the way that I've described this field is that we have the conversations that other people avoid. We walk into rooms that other people don't want to be in and we get yelled at or put down or told horrific things and we keep coming back. And a lot of, a lot of people don't avoid these things because they're so difficult and this is our job. And so I think that recognizing that and putting that as a, a normal thing is I think important. I think normalizing how, how frequent there, there is vicarious trauma how frequent there is compassion fatigue, how frequent there's burnout and moral injury, and really being able to really identify those things as kind of these systemic issues that we have to face. And, and, and certainly Kurt and I have talked about kind of how do we address these systemic things and, and help ourselves systemically. But, but the thing that, that, you know, you and I were kind of talking about off air, Noreen, is this idea of beyond the compassion fatigue and the vicarious trauma and and kind of tying back into this this being impacted by our clients view of the world is i feel like there there's something and maybe this is my misunderstanding of it and so this is something where as as someone from the outside because i've not had my own suicidal thoughts or attempts uh thank goodness but to me it seems like a there would be such a place of hopelessness and lack of competence and efficacy and burden that would get would be in be on board when someone was attempting suicide or having suicidal thoughts and i think for a therapist there are so many places that can come in and so as as someone who is a witness of therapists i i work with therapists in both my therapy practice and my consulting business and as someone who recognizes this, how can I support therapists and, and what can I be looking for? Because I think, I feel like, you know, I can look and say, is there a depression or is there, you know, are people talking about suicidal thoughts, which therapists are masking these things, right? Like we don't see it. <laughs> and so what can, what can I do as, as someone who is wanting to support the other professionals in my 
field to decrease death by suicide in our profession? Yeah. You know, I think when you, because I also have therapists that are clients. And one thing that I always do is I just, I talk about it from the beginning, you know, and talk about the stress involved. And oftentimes they'll start to bring up clients that they've seen that have either died by suicide in the past or that they're having clients that are suicidal now. And so Mm -hmm. we have a whole conversation about it and how that can affect them, even though it's their client, you know, and kind of the more you are exposed, the more it does affect you. And so really being able to give them the area and the outlet and the space to be able to say yes, and that it's okay. Mm -hmm. Again, because I think, you know, I see this one therapist and she's a great client, but when she first started with me, She's like, oh, I like she felt like she had to impress me all the time because then I would think that she's a bad therapist if she doesn't kind of be on her mm-hmm. game. And I'm like, that's not why you're coming to therapy. <laughs> you're <not> your <laughs> game. Like you're coming to therapy is say what it is you're having a hard time with and how we can, you know, work through this. And that's awesome that you can do that. You know, I'm glad like you stepped your foot in my door and let's work with that now because therapists just hold so much shame about going to therapy. So, and I mm-hmm. think it just takes off from there. So really it just always goes back to the more you can decrease that stigma and the more open you can be and have those conversations with them from the beginning. Easily done with therapists or your clients. Then there's also kind of the ones who are already a part of your consultation groups. What about the ones that you run into just elsewhere, the ones that are kind of in the office way down the hall that you only see like five minutes a week because you're just crossing paths that there there does need to be this community building. And, you know, there are the number of people in my career who I've met and then, you know, just kind of like, oh, it's been five years since I've seen you. You know, what have you been up to? But if we're really going to tackle this on and, and change the way that we as a profession support each other. What are what are the next steps in this too? You know, I think really the bottom line to all of it is the more comfortable you are talking about it, the more comfortable someone is going to be feel that they can be open with you. So, you know, therapists that I've worked with previously, let's say that I just run into the halls now, there have been occasions where I could see that they're just like so stressed. And I'll stop and I'll have a conversation with them. You know, unfortunately, it's only five minutes, but usually I'll follow up with them and say, hey, like, let's meet for coffee or go for lunch. You know, I want to be able to support you. Or it sounds like you're really going through a hard time now. You know, do you have someone to talk about it? So however you can engage, you know, anybody, whether it be the therapist in your consulting group or someone you run into, you know, in five years. But if you're not comfortable talking about it, they're not going to be comfortable to be open and to receiving that to, you know, kind of express what it is that they're doing. So I think that's just the bottom line. And I think in addition to, you know, the consultation groups or whatever groups that you have, I think we also need to have better plans for, I guess the word would be like a postvention uh, or a plan for after when major events happen. If, if you know somebody in a consultation group has a client who dies by suicide, rather than sitting around in the consultation group and twiddling our thumbs and saying, oh, that's really sad. How are you doing? But to have a more comprehensive way of talking about the impacts that it has in order to minimize the risks of 
kind of that suicidal hopelessness impact the clinician of really being more robust in our approach to dealing with big events in our colleagues' lives that I, I just have this sense that so many of us are caught in this place of, I know my role as a therapist and I know my role as a person in the therapist community, but there's a really big gray zone in the middle that I, I think we're all too afraid to venture into because, oh, that's going to cross boundaries if I ask, you know, hey, are, are you thinking suicidal stuff in response to this? That I think we're just too hesitant to jump into that space and that's harming us. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because the way you even just asked that was so tentative and hesitant. <laughs> <laughs> so like if, if I, you know, if that were me, like someone were asking me something like that, then I would go, Oh no, no, no. But you know, to be able to normalize it and go, gosh, you know, that must be so hard. You know, I'm wondering if that like has led you to have any thoughts of, you know, suicide or any suicidal, you know, thoughts or, like, what is it that you're really thinking and feeling? And, and let's be able to talk about that. And gosh, that's normal to be so stressed out. And really just make it a conversation and to be able to support, you're right, to be able to support them outside and, of that. You know? and, and it's not just one conversation. It, yeah. No, no. Because that, it's not like that goes away in a day or a week or, you know, gosh, when, when I had my client just attempt, ugh. It was like a couple of months that it just like really sat with me. And over time it goes away, but it's it's just gut-wrenching. It's so hard. And thankfully I had people that I felt comfortable with to be able to talk about it. So when one of our colleagues dies by suicide, the worst happens. Mm -hmm. What are the things that maybe we should do, what we can do as a community to to respond and heal and those kinds of things. I think that's, that's kind of question one. What do we do just as a colleague when we see this? Because, you know, now we've got another potential risk factor as well as trauma, as well as just grief and loss and those kinds of things. And then also with those clients of the, the client with, of the therapist who died by suicide, there's going to be kind of a follow on there. And maybe this is a longer conversation and, and we are getting towards the end of our time. But what let's just kind of what are your thoughts on that when when we have a colleague that dies by suicide, how we manage it for ourselves and then for the clients of that colleague? Yeah. So how we manage it for ourselves is really, again, it's just key to, you know, because some people think like it's my fault. Oh my God, what didn't I do? What didn't I see? Mm -hmm. And really be able to be there to support them and don't be afraid to ask them like they know their client died, you know, their the therapist died by suicide, right? Be able to have a conversation about it because it's yeah. it just goes back to that whole level of comfortability that people are so afraid that it's going to upset them or it's no, it's going to make them feel more comfortable that you are, you know, showing that compassion and that you really want to be there for them. And so I think that that's like for your colleagues is, you know, mm -hmm. to truly, truly be there for them and don't avoid it and go, oh, I don't know if it's too soon to call or maybe they're getting too many text messages and pick up the phone. Like, don't, that's not yeah. something you text about, but I can't tell you how many people do. 
So yes, pick up the phone. <laughs> and I think as far as like the clients that you will, I know one of the things that Kurt, you had mentioned to me before we even got on here was about, you know, having a will, like a therapist's will to be able to say what's going to happen to your clients, which is so critical because mm-hmm. otherwise you have all these clients that are just hanging out to dry and then kind of scattering to find places for them. So um so, and I want to speak on this and I, I, I do want to give credit where credit's due and a, a big person pushing getting professional wills done right now is our colleague, Ben Caldwell. So while I would love to be the sole credit of this proper credit to bed <laughs> on this one, there's a, there's a couple of aspects on this that I think in our conversation today have kind of, you know, continued to come up for me is that when the worst happens and we are calling out to those clients, those former clients of a colleague who has died by suicide is understanding that one of the feelings that they may be feeling is a sense of betrayal that for somebody who is a, you know, somebody who's supposed to be their rock, somebody who's supposed to model how to live that when the worst happens that that might be a response that you're going to run into as well additionally that in those professional wills people who should be listed are supervisees because there really is going to be and i'm getting this from so many of of you who've reached out to us after our our previous episode on therapist suicidality of just the total absence of where guidance can be when the person who's supposed to be the mentor and have all of the answers, not only for the work that you're doing, but also as a professional guidance of now no longer being a resource who's there. And so having those people listed in your in your professional will as well is a really important step here too. Yeah. And you know, with that, I think, you know, you talked tell me about their feelings. Oh, about oh, betrayal. sense of betrayal. Betrayal. But the other thing is the guilt that a lot of these clients have and the supervisees have. And, Mm -hmm. you know, even the therapists, like your colleagues, that they start to feel they have so many feelings about it themselves. You know, so it's kind of like a chain of one person supporting the other, supporting the other, because everybody's going to have feelings about it, you know. And again, it's really being able to acknowledge those feelings. And yes, being able to have someone in your professional will for your supervisees to go to, God forbid something happens, even if you just die of natural causes, you die in an accident, you, if you're just gone for yeah. however it is, it's not just necessarily suicide, but to be able to have that support and designated people for your supervisees and your clients is just so critical. Thank you, Noreen, for again sharing your time and your expertise on this. You're such a, a wonderful resource to have in normalizing the conversation about suicide. And I think that that's really the the warm place around this that I want to leave in, in describing you is because if we really are going to change the way that we as a profession create the space around these conversations, then it does have to be inviting. So thank you for leading that charge. And thank you so much for sharing your time with us. Thank you. It was great being here. Where can people find out more about you and your practice? At NoreenVanderhoeven.com. And 
again, I said before, no www or you'll wind up in the wrong place. Um, so it's just <laughs> NoreenVanderHoeven.com. And on there is all of my consulting. Um, there's some downloads. There's courses. There's a lot of information on there. Resources. There are some really great resources as well. And we'll make sure to put a link to your downloads and your course on suicide and, and all of the other resources on our show notes at mtsgpodcast.com. And while you're there, check out our Therapy Reimagined 2020 conference. We are working hard in the background of getting everything put up out there. And really, so much of our goals around this conference is making it reflective of where we are in the profession in general and where the profession should go and having all sorts of conversations around just talking about the things that we don't talk about and making that normal so that way it is a better profession for us all. Please continue to send us your stories and your feedback. You can do that either through our social media or join our Facebook group, The Modern Therapist Group. And until next time, I'm Kurt Wittelm with Katie Renoy and Noreen Vanderhoeven. Thank you for listening to the Modern Therapist Survival Guide. Learn more about who we are and what we do at mtsgpodcast.com. You can also join us on Facebook and Twitter. And please don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any of our episodes. 